justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Those words sound familiar somewhat. We uh, sometimes take those words for granted uh, as they are revealed to us in Scripture and by those who have gone before us. And uh, there was a comic strip not too long ago that said those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it, yet those who do study history are doomed to stand by helplessly while everyone else repeats it. Uh, kind of a cynical play on uh, a quote from uh, George Santayana, who was a, an American historian of the 19th century and early 20th century, who simply said those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It's obviously well known and widely used because there's truth in it. And one of the things that we do as a confessing church is we use the past to remember the past, those words from the past, so that we may not repeat the errors of the past. And those errors came upon the church in many times, and we have those same problems coming upon the church in our lifetime as well. If we look at the illustrated history of the modern evangelical church, uh, we are a people who have forgotten our roots in many cases. And honestly, a lot of the church doesn't really seem to care one way or the other. Um, we live in a world of rapidly changing technology and we have this incessant chatter of social media and 24 hours every 30-second news, uh, real-time updates on everything from world politics to what your friend had for breakfast that morning. And we think we must have everything new and immediate and that it's better if it's newer and up-to-date. Well, um, I don't think we would argue uh, that God's Word is always up-to-date. Unfortunately, in the church today, we see numerous polls about biblical illiteracy and theological dumbness out there. Um, numerous professing Christians do not grasp the contents of Scripture Many who read the Bible often have no idea what it means and how it goes together. And in some recent studies, a large percentage of confessing Christians unwittingly hold views about the Trinity and Jesus Christ and sin and salvation that are technically heretical. Um, doesn't seem to bother them. And I think it's a good idea for us to revisit those basics of Reformation that we see in the 16th century Reformers who also came upon a time in God's providence where the church had strayed far away from the biblical understanding of the gospel. Now, the people of Israel forgot the past to disastrous consequences. The medieval church forgot the past to disastrous consequences. And any time the church takes that turn, um, there's always consequences until that path is corrected. And praise God for his glorious providence, he corrects the church and Hopefully the words we look at today in Scripture will remind us and correct us where our minds would stray away from the doctrine of Scripture. 
in this uh, sermon this morning, I want us to look at what are generally called the five solas of the Reformation that we just spoke about. Justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And if you would please stand, we'll read the Word of God to start us this morning from the book of Romans, chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. This is God's Word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom we believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is God's word. Please be seated. If you noticed in that passage, uh, it's not uniquely inclusive, but it included all of the solas that we describe as those things that the reformers uh, were given to correct uh, in the 16th century in the church. We want to look at them one by one. And we want to begin uh, in the umbrella of the solas, if you will. Um, by the way, what does sola mean exactly? Sola. Solo, sola. Sola. Alone. Alone. Only. That only, that exclusively. Okay, how can we have five things alone? That's like standing in a room with four other people, right, and saying you're alone? No, not exactly. Um, obviously, as in anything we look at, we've got to look at context. So, we look at sola scriptura, Sola fide, soli gratia, gratia, solus Christus, and solo Deo gloria as the primary foundation that the building of the gospel is built on. When the medieval church lost her way, the rediscovery of these fundamental principles during the Reformation helped regain that footing. Sola scriptura. Scripture alone. What do we mean when we say that we believe in sola scriptura or scripture alone? 
The context of this is both historical and theological. In the first place, um, there was a, a context of the late medieval Roman Catholic Church and its teaching that was an error that had combined the message of Scripture as being authoritative with the tradition of the Pope or the church being authoritative. And those became to the point where the medieval church had actually put the magisterium or the teaching of the church and the Pope above Scripture. They began out, began to where it was in the middle of the, of the medieval period as equal with Scripture. And by the time you get to the 16th century, it has now surpassed Scripture in the authority. This dispute was not over the inspiration or inerrancy of Scripture. Rome believed that. Um, they affirmed both of those doctrines at the time. The problem was due to the fact that the doctrines of men had begun to replace the Word of God. Tradition was conceived as a secondary uh, and then a primary source of final authority. And so the church and the church only would be able to interpret both the tradition and the scripture for you. The reformers wanted to call the church to look at a view of scripture and the church to what it had been during the time of the apostles. Where did the apostles hold scripture? They believed the Bible itself taught that the Bible interprets itself. That the doctrine that the apostles taught was the scripture and the scripture alone. The Reformation doctrine between the scripture and tradition um, was that there is value in tradition, but it doesn't replace scripture. Now, the reformers went so far as to say that the scripture is the norm and practice and infallible and final and only inspired revelation that we have. Not the doctrines of men or particular interpretation that one pope or another may have. In fact, if we look at uh, 2 Timothy, you, you may also have 2 Timothy 3. It's one of those good 3.16 ones, you like John 3.16. There's a lot of good 3.16s, right? Um, Paul tells Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scripture alone, Martin Luther said, the scripture alone can bind the conscience. Not the traditions of men, not the interpretation of the church, not these other transitional things um, that depend upon uh, the mind of man, but the word of God only can bind the conscience. And they even went farther. Not only can the scripture bind the conscience, but the scripture is unique in that the basics of the salvation of man in the, in the Reformation doctrine of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, is the understandable gospel, and it's understandable by anyone. Okay, and here they and Martin Luther made the point of saying every detail of scripture is not equally as clear. But the things that pertain to your redemption, your salvation are so clear that the average person of an average intelligence can read it and understand it. And therefore, it does not require the pope to interpret it for you. All right. 
And uh, unfortunately, there's a misunderstanding of sola scriptura, which came about much later in the in the 19th century, that uh, that the Bible is the only sole authority. So the Bible uh, is the only thing that's of value. And so you have these slogans like I grew up in a church where it was uh, um, the only creed or no creed, but Christ, no book, but the Bible. You've probably heard that. Um, Of course, when you start saying that, you're actually making a creedal statement. But anyway, uh, so. We make the statement and and the reformers made the statement that as far as the creeds and confessions and the determination of councils and the teachers that have gone before Augustine, all those as long as those things are in agreement with the understanding of Scripture. They're to be trusted, they're to be used by the church, but they are never to replace Scripture. But neither do we throw them out. In fact, Martin Luther went so far as to say even even the Apocrypha was of value. Okay. now some of the reformers took exception to that and many Protestants, later Protestants in particular, um, didn't want anything to do with the apocryphal writings like Maccabees and Judith and all of those that are intertestamental Esdras. If if you grew up with a, a Roman Catholic Bible or. Um, sometimes in an older King James Bible, you'll have the Apocrypha in there as well. said, those things are of value, but they're not scripture. So they cannot bind the conscience. So sola scriptura means that our only way to bind the conscience of the church is through the scripture, not through external things like popes and, and teachings of of councils and creeds and confessions, although those things may be helpful. So, uh, as usual, we we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but uh, we have to be very careful that we don't extend things that are not binding uh, as scripture. So those who espouse this uh, misunderstanding um, a lot of times we'll, uh, it's almost a cop out to say no, no creed, but Christ, no book, but the Bible when they have no idea basically what the Bible says or or uh, who Christ is from the inspiration and the, the exegetion of, of scripture. So, um, you know, uh, you've got to be very careful when you say we believe the creeds or we believe uh, in the Westminster Confession, we believe it's accurate. We always must always put that clarifier in there that we believe as far as it aligns with Scripture. And so uh, when we say the Nicene Creed, does that words that are written in the Nicene Creed, can we look at Scripture and get those same doctrines from it? We say yes, we can look at it. We can find those doctrines there. So, Sola Scriptura is one of the things that stands as the umbrella, if you will, over the other solas because it gives us our point of authority. It gives the church the place of an anchor. Sola Scriptura tells us that we don't have to be torn apart by one, what one person says over another, or by uh, what the latest prophecy in, in the church, uh, whoever the prophet in the church may be uh, espousing, or uh, whatever book they've written, or anything like that, we have an anchor. Uh, we have a firm foundation, and that foundation um, is the scripture that's been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Sola Fide. That is is faith alone. And that is what Martin Luther called faith alone, saved that we are saved by faith alone through grace alone. He said is the foundation stone of the gospel. Uh, and he also uh, 
he also made this statement, I, and I, I love this. You've got to love Martin Luther. He, this is concerning the importance of the doctrine of, of grace alone, uh, and uh, he applied it to uh, grace alone or faith alone through grace alone. He said, if the Pope would concede that God alone, by his grace, through faith, justifies sinners, we would carry him in our arms, we would kiss his feet. <laughs> Martin Luther had a way with words, didn't he? So, sola fide, by faith alone, by faith alone. This is sometimes called the material cause of the Reformation. This is hearkening back to the, uh, if you're familiar with the, with the uh, formal causes uh, of the um, uh, of logic that Aristotle had espoused, um, where you have uh, uh, essentially it's uh, used the example of a sculptor sculpting a stone uh, out of a stone, a statue. And uh, he would assign to those, we won't go into all of those, but um, different types of, of um, causes to something. And, and this, the sola fide, is what the, the reformers would refer to as the material cause of the Reformation. The doctrine of justification, pseudo, solo fide, by faith alone, was a key point of debate between what would be called the Protestant reformers and the Roman Catholic Church. And it's remained a point of contention ever since, regardless of what you may have heard from what was it called? Evangelicals and Catholics together, part one, part... I don't think there's been a part three, has there? Or is there a part three? Now? Um, this doctrine was expressed as the article by which the church stands or falls. Justification by faith alone. The article by which the church stands or falls. I think John Calvin said it is the hinge upon which the gospel swings. Was Luther correct in affirming the central importance of this doctrine? In order to answer this question, we must grasp the meaning of justification as well as the Protestant and Roman Catholic doctrines. I'm not going into a lot of detail, but essentially Roman Catholicism is expressed, um, if you want to look up the entirety of it in its detail, uh, it's in the Decree Concerning Justification, which is the sixth session of the Council of Trent in 1547, which is directly following the Protestant Reformation, or during actually. Um, according to this degree, decree, fallen human beings are made just through the labor of regeneration, in short, the instrumental cause of justification being made just is baptism. So you're justified, begin with, by baptism. Justification is said to involve the remission of sin and also the sanctification and renewal of the inward man. So you see the difference here. He's saying you must be made just. Justification is not by faith alone, according to the Council of Trent, because hope and charity and works essentially have to be added to it to complete it. The Reformers rejected this idea that justification doesn't mean that you are making someone just by faith alone. It, it's accomplished in the Roman Catholic Church via this work of, and they view baptism as a sociodatalistic work. But why? So, the first point is that God is absolutely righteous and just, and so all the works that you can add to faith will not qualify. That's why they have this very elaborate system of baptism, if you commit a mortal sin, uh, then you lose 
the grace of baptism. So what do you do? Do you go get rebaptized? No. You have to do what's called penance. And penance involves various things, these makeup works, if you will, that have to be accomplished to add to the grace given and through faith. So it's not as if Rome doesn't believe in faith or Rome doesn't believe in grace. It's not grace alone. It's not faith alone. The problem is in the inherent unrighteousness of ourselves. Okay, the problem is that God is absolutely and perfectly holy and we are not. That's the problem. And and simply trying to make up the difference uh, is inevitably, inevitably a fool's errand. We are fallen. We are unjust and unrighteous creatures. And we see this in Romans 3. There is none who is good, none who is righteous. And Romans 3 goes into great detail quoting the Old Testament on this. So this raises this huge question, how can I, an unjust sinner, stand before an infinitely righteous and holy God at a final judgment? That's the question that justification by faith alone answers. Because Roman offers this, this convoluted answer in order for a person to be declared righteous by God, he has to be made righteous. And we just saw in Romans how Abraham's faith was what? Accounted to him as righteousness. The following is... Um, uh, maybe oversimplified, but um, Rome has this idea of justification that is kind of a mixture between some sort of sanctification and renewal. That that's why they they've ended up adding on things like like purgatory to make up some sort of of difference try to try to say this is how much we are unlike god or how unholy we actually are where in reality it doesn't even come close so essentially say if you cooperate with the righteousness uh and do these things then you can make up that that difference scripture says it can't be done according to the reformers uh there was a serious problem with Rome's uh, doctrine of righteousness and of, of justification because they didn't take into account uh, the absolute perfectness and righteousness of God and the absolute unrighteousness of man. So what do, what do, what do we do? How does God say... I accept you as righteous. Well, it can't be by making us righteous in and of ourselves. A person cannot be declared righteous and survive the judgment of God on the grounds of anything less than perfect righteousness. Because God is what? Holy. God is absolutely just. So he just doesn't say, as the 19th century and early 20th century liberals would say, God is a God of love, so he just kind of ignores your sin, ignores your, your unholiness, and says, okay, I'll, I'll forgive you. What, a, what, a, what a, We talked about this in Sunday school. Um, you know, what, what if you come to a courtroom and someone has committed a heinous crime, a murder or something, and the judge finds him $5 and says, have a nice day? What do we think of that judge? He's an unrighteous judge. He would, he would be an unrighteous God for him to simply say, no problem there. Right? That would Im, impugn his righteousness. He cannot require less without denying himself and his own holiness. 
In Hebrews 4, we see that there is one that is righteousness itself, Christ Jesus, who, according to Scripture, has, uh, in Sunday school, we've been talking about uh, how Christ uh, uh, stood in our place in what we call a penal substitutionary atonement. In other words, Christ, through the grace of God, stood in our place and took upon himself our sin. It was placed upon him or imputed to him, the sin of his people. And conversely, his righteousness was imputed or given to us. So that's why when we look at sola fide or by faith alone, we take hold of a foreign or alien righteousness, the reformers call it. We have taken hold of an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own, but has been applied to us uh, through faith or sola fide. So what is justification? And this is great because this is where the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, I'm sorry, this is the larger catechism, um, asks the question, what is justification? And the answer to that is justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners in which he pardons all their sins, accepts and accounts their persons righteous in his sight, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ by God imputed to them and received by faith alone. See why faith alone is so important that that alone part is in there? Not by faith plus works. Not by faith plus some sanctifying ritual, but by faith alone. And that's where we come to sola, sola gratia. In the 5th century, um, early 5th century, um, like 420-something, I don't remember the exact date, uh, a theological controversy occurred uh <laughs> which basically shook the entire church. Um, in fact, really set the road to Reformation um, a thousand years later. Um, in a treatise that Augustine or Augustine of Hippo, who was a priest, um, who was a pastor, a bishop, on a term, that in Hippo wrote a prayer that simply said, this is a prayer to God, give what thou commandest and command what thou will. Okay? Very, very simple prayer, but think about it a minute. Give what thou commandest and command what thou will. The British monk Pelagius um, was like, had apoplexy over this. Um, he believed that this would give Christians an excuse for not obeying God. Okay, and it's that first part. Give what thou commandest. He believed that this was possible because he believed Adam's sin only affected Adam. Now, have to remember, this is the place where grace alone becomes the... Uh, really the uh, outspoken and, and basis of theological teaching in justification uh, for the rest of the life of the church from then on. Okay, And it wasn't something that hadn't been uh, pronounced in Scripture, hadn't been understood. It was very clear, but by the time you get to uh, the 420s, 
um, there had been such a decline in some areas in the church uh, and the Arian controversy and various other heresies that sprung up that um, there was this type of, of um, works righteousness that had been instilled within parts of the church. And the British church happened to be one of these areas. And so Augustine uh, and Pelagius essentially went head-to-head on this issue. Because Pelagius said that Adam's sin affected only him. And basically that all humans are born capable of either obeying or disobeying God. Okay? If they obey, their good works merit salvation. Okay? If not, they deserve God's punishment. Okay? That's kind of how the world thinks about things today, right? Pretty, pretty Pelagian, if you want to use that, that term. Augustine, on the other hand, from Scripture, taught that Adam's sin had dramatically impacted all of his descendants. In fact, we find in the Council of Nicaea, Council of Chalcedon, Council of Ephesus, all of these reaffirmed that the Augustinian understanding of grace was accurate from the scripture. The Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, in a simplified form, uh, has an explanation of this doctrine of original sin that you might want to remember. This is in section six uh, of, uh, or chapter six of the Westminster Uh, confession of faith they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body they being the root of all mankind the guilt of this sin was imputed and the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions. In other words, they're talking about original sin here. In that that we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we do sins. Okay? That, that would be the Pelagian understanding. Um, since the fall, all human beings are born in sin, in bondage to sin. We see that uh, if you look in Ephesians, um, probably the clearest example in Scripture that we see of this is Ephesians, uh, the second chapter. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But by grace alone, and if you continue in that chapter, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show how immeasurable the riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How do you get from that to faith plus works? Almost incomprehensible. (laughs) So, Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia. 
And we come to Sola Christus. Christ alone. When the the, the Reformation, uh, interestingly enough, uh, you will not find these five solas in the form that we have them today as a list. You won't find those in the Reformation. Kind of blew my mind. I was a little, I was a little irritated. <laughs> You don't find that. You find uh, justification by grace alone through faith alone, repeated often. Uh, you find the idea of sola scriptura and the word sola scriptura uh, talked about in people being understanding the scripture and the scripture being the, the only binder of the conscience. Um, and of course, you find uh, references to the glory of God and also to Christ being the foundation of our salvation, but you don't find them as that nice, tidy five solas that we're so familiar with and we're hoping that Martin Luther or John Calvin had said, but they didn't. That was very late. In fact, it was the first time uh, I I was reading uh, Dr. Uh, Keith Matheson uh, at Reformation Bible College. the first listing apparently he found of it was actually in the early 20th century. So it, it came fairly late. Again, uh, that's not to say it's uh, not helpful. And um, the Reformed Church has taken, I think, good advantage of it. Um, and all of those things are found within the Reformers' teaching as well as the Apostles' doctrine. But... Uh, in the nice tidy little list of five things we don't we don't have that very early. So solus Christus, Christ alone. The the point of this dispute was the same as the point of faith with the Roman Catholic Church. Um, they didn't. The Roman Catholic Church will agree line for line with you about the person of Christ what the what the uh, Chalcedonian Creed, with the Nicene Creed, with the Apostles' Creed, all of those things about the person of Christ, um, there was no argument there. The debate centered on the sacramental system of Rome. Again, back to that um, constructed system of making you righteous making you just. So, a system in which the grace of Christ was mediated to the people through an elaborate system of priests and sacramental work. Um, That was the debate. So, you can see why Christ alone would be a big point of contention because it's not Christ Again, plus anything, the Reformer said, Scripture tells us that it's Christ alone that is the foundation of our justification in Him. Christ alone. No Christ plus the sacramental system. And what what is kind of terrifying is, see another form of that today in various places where you find large chunks of the evangelical church in various geographic areas that have gone to this back to the Old Testament thing where they want to uh, keep Torah and all of these things. Um, That's just another form of Christ plus. In fact, we have some friends that um, have just gone way out there with this whole with the whole Torah keeping thing um, it, it's be, it actually become an integral part of the gospel for them and it's sad um, but this is what during the Reformation you had in the Catholic Church not a return to the doctrinal system of the covenant uh, of the Old Testament period but you have a uh, 
a homegrown, if you will, sacramental system of the Roman Catholic Church that has bound the people to a Christ plus. And so no longer uh, is it Christ alone who is our foundation. It is Christ plus something else that you do. Some sacramental system. So the Roman Church effectively controlled the believer's life from birth to death in, in some form of sacerdotalism, in some form of sacrament, whether the sacrament be baptism or last rites. Everything in between. Marriage was a sacrament. All of these things are sacramentally tied to the Roman Catholic Church. Martin Luther and others realized, Martin Luther first, and remember the 95 Theses that he posted at the Wittenberg door that started all this business, uh, was actually primarily against indulgences, which was part of the, the sacramental system of the Roman Catholic Church. Luther argued that the papacy through this system had usurped the prerogatives of Christ, making itself the dispensers of God's grace. Christ alone and not the church is our only mediator. The church is not our mediator. And don't, don't ever get to the place where you think the church has some mediatorial work in your standing before God. It doesn't. And I don't care whether that's the Roman Catholic Church or the, or the First Reformed Church of wherever. <laughs> okay? Um, Christ is the only way of salvation of all who were, are now, or shall be. Uh, that, that's a... Uh, uh, Ulrich Swingley proclaimed that in his declaration of Christ as the only mediator. Um, he was one of the early uh, magisterial reformers uh, who lived uh, contemporary with uh, Martin Luther. The Westminster Confession of Faith affirms that Christ alone is the object of our faith when it says the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. The Reformers and their heirs were intent on proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's 1 Corinthians 2. If you want to look that up, they recognize that because Christ is the only way of salvation for man, he is central to the message of the Bible. And we see that uh, in our uh, text in Acts 4. Says what? 412. Is that one you're familiar with? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven, among men, which we must be saved, by which we must be saved, there is salvation in no one else. Not in the church, not in the sacraments, not in anything but Christ. And finally, solo Deo Gloria. This is, again, as Scripture formed the umbrella of our authority that we look to we see the ultimate goal and the ultimate purpose for which we are saved parallels all of the other solos. And this is solo Deo Gloria, or what? Glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. Both the beginning and the ending of all the other solos. The Holy Spirit inspired scripture to the glory of God. Christ humbled himself to the point of death and was raised and was exalted to the right hand of the Father to the glory of God alone. Grace and mercy are offered to rebellious sinners to the glory of God alone. Justification is by faith alone to the glory of God alone. Solo Deo Gloria is central. That's why we worship we don't gather together to evangelize. 
we gather together to worship. It is important that when we talk about God's glory, we are talking about an attribute of God. It's not simply that God like really wants to be worshipped, so, so he commands us to glorify him. He does, but righteously so. But it, the glory of God, the radiance of God, the weightiness of God is an attribute of who he is. 1 Corinthians 10.31 We are used to use these gifts to serve one another in order that everything, in everything we might glorify God through Christ Jesus. The Psalms are filled beginning to end with the glorification of God. Worship exists for the glory of God alone. So, you can see why the five souls of the Reformation is an important part of staying on the right path. Um, I've said this before, and but it's something that has always stuck in my mind. I had a professor who uh, was a little tiny guy who uh, had this kind of squeaky little voice, but he was, the guy was brilliant. He had worked on the Manhattan Project during World War II, a very, very old fellow, and, and uh, he was teaching some pretty advanced stuff, and, and people would get often confused, and he would always say, People, people. Go back to the basics. You can't fall off the floor. And so I call you this morning to go back to the basics of the five solas that we have been taught through Scripture and rely on through the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. Amen.